East-West Draftcast may not be suitable for all listeners. Welcome everybody to another edition of East-West Draftcast. I am a co-host, Jeff the Destroyer McDonald. On the line, we got another co-host, Greg. The mustache that rides. The mustache that rides. Man, I have no mustache right now. I'm kind of blowing it. For shame, Jefferson. <laughs> I know. Uh, um, anyway... We are, uh, we got, um, a third, a guest co-host, as you might call it, or a guest not co-host? What are you, Spencer? A guest co-host or just a guest? I think I'm just a guest, guest host. Well, you're not the host, you're co-hosting. I am hosting the show in part, and I'm not a permanent co-host. I think we need to call guest services to boil this down. I think that's a good call. Anyway, you got the three of us today. You know Spencer from past podcasts, I'm sure. Um, but today, we got an interesting topic for you people. We are going to talk Roto-Cube. And not just Roto-Cube, but a very specific draft that just happened that Spencer and Greg were part of. And we're going to break it down, talk about some of the interesting picks, and uh, maybe talk a little bit about just how it went um anyway let's start off by saying what the hell is roto cube greg (laughs) well rotisserie draft is kind of a different way to draft a format and it's i think mostly done with cube as opposed to other formats although i've heard of people doing it with like theros block or whatever um anyway you lay out one copy of every card in the cube so i mean most cubes are singleton so that's fine right and then you randomly determine some sort of draft order. We had 10 players. And then you you pick cards like from the face-up pool of every card in the cube, one at a time. Uh, it's a snake draft, so uh, the order of the draft, like 1 through 10, is reversed in the even-numbered rounds. So if you have the first pick in the first round, you have the last pick in the second round, uh, and then the first pick in the third round again. Um, we've done this before with uh, the Roto League way back when, if, if you're an old-time listener. But um, we do this every once in a while with the Cube. What do, what do you say, like like four or five times a year, maybe? Yeah, once, once a season is what I was trying to get it get it going on. Like, and it's like a, three, times, three times a year. It's a ton of fun, like especially when it's with the same Cube over and over again. You can like post the list online or something so everybody can see all the cards in the Cube, and they can actually you can actually brew up a deck. You can be like, okay, I want my first pick to be... Uh, a Black Lotus, and then I want to get Mind Twist in the second round, and so on and so on. Um, but yeah, it's just a cool way to, to do it. We added a little twist this time where after the draft, we randomly sorted the 10 people into two teams of five, and then had some team deck building time, and uh, then, then you played individuals from the other team. And I'm pretty sure one team did significantly better. Is that That's correct, isn't it, Spencer? Yeah, definitely. Okay. I think uh, you and I were on opposing teams, right? Yes, we were. Yeah, you were on the good team. Okay, that's that's the way I remember it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how I remember it too. Like, can we talk a little bit about the general strategy of how this works? Like, what's what's typical in a, uh, a rotisserie draft? Like, especially for cube, ours is a powered cube. We have all the mocks in Black Lotus, 
basically all the like crazy powerful stupid stuff you can do in a cube you can do in this cube and i mean what what are the typical strategies or um i guess theories on how to have a good rotisserie draft uh the strategies are generally to take the most powerful stuff first no matter what you're drafting pretty much i mean you just try to take the most powerful cards and shoehorn them into what you want to draft um and then you probably want to stick with a archetype that is built into the cube right like something that we support well so reanimator is a a nice little archetype that we support pretty well um things like mono red uh just blue control in general um green ramp green ramp yeah um we have like a lot of enters the battlefield type things and things that that blink. uh blink yeah that's yeah. a that's a fun deck yeah it's always a good time um yeah there's there's all kinds of different archetypes you could really do uh some people try to get tricksier than others by doing something a little more off the wall some people draft mono black and are awful <laughs> <laughs> Everybody I'll, hates on black in the cube, but I, I really like black. I think black. I think black is an excellent support color. It <laughs> is an awful main color. And but, the way yeah. this draft turned out, there were a lot of black drafters, and I think that kind of hamstrung a lot of them, uh, especially when I think like three or four of them ended up on the same team. Uh, That's pretty bad. When we broke up, I think actually, yeah, all but one of the black drafters ended. Like I was kind of a black. Anyway, um, I want to kind of break this down more specific as far as our cube is constructed. We've had this discussion a few times, but I want to have it on the podcast. What What's the top pick? What do you take first overall if you have the first pick? I think it depends on what you're trying to do. It depends on your style as a player, too. There's probably like you know, yeah. half a dozen cards that you could take first that uh, wouldn't be a bad first pick overall. I mean, I think there's a few cards that are, are certainly, you know, it has to be one of these handful of cards, but... I think anyone would fault you for taking Soul Ring over Ancestral Recall or Black Lotus over any of those two, or you know even something else like Time Walker or Mox if you really wanted to. So can you really make the argument for Mox over Lotus or Mox over Soul Ring? Because I kind of don't think you can. Uh, I personally would not, but yeah, I, think I don't know. I... As a player, if you have a solid plan and you're, you're, you don't necessarily, let's say Black Lotus doesn't fit in your plan for whatever. <laughs> what deck is that? Yeah, that's, deck, that's the point I'm trying to make. It's like the, the mean, best example I could come up with is, okay, I want to be mono red. I'll take Mox Ruby first. But in that, at that yeah. point, I'd probably still rather have Black Lotus. Oh, yeah. Soul, yeah or Soul Ring, for that matter. Or Soul Ring, yeah. It's something that's just like consistently ramping me more. I, I don't know. I just I think that the, the pick comes down to Soul Ring, Recall, Black Lotus. And I agree that when it boils down to it, like you can nitpick either either way like in any, any of those three directions to say okay this is my plan this is the card that best fits that plan but i think it's one of those three cards right i mean i don't think libraries in there or time walk or anything else you just I think, those three i think time walk is a unique enough card as as is library but at the same time like i don't know library just isn't as isn't explosive enough for me as far as things i can be doing in cube and i i ended up with library in this draft and I'm not going to lie, it was a little underwhelming because, I mean, yeah, I drew a ton of cards, but I took a, a turn of development off to do that, essentially. And Yeah, your deck was kind of not built 
to take advantage of library so much though no it wasn't and if i could have that pick back i would have taken mind twist instead but at the time uh, i took black lotus third overall and when it got back to me in the second round library was sitting there Uh, my plan was to take demonic tutor or mind twist whichever was there and i was like oh but library that's like a top six card like i should just take that and yeah it didn't really work out no i understand yeah the rationale behind that but I think if you did that, you should have changed your... I mean, if you wanted to make that pick really count, you would have changed your kind of overall strategy completely. But that's not necessarily a good call. I'm just saying that's... If you're going to take library, you might as well commit to it. Anyway, let's kind of get back to this previous discussion real quick because I want to tie a little bit of a bow on it. Let's... Can we agree that Soul Ring, Recall, and Black Lotus are probably the leaders in the clubhouse? Those are the the three cards that have the best like yes. claim for the number one spot? Yes. Yes, I which, don't disagree. Which one do you guys prefer? Recall. Yeah, like I, said, I think Black Lotus is, is third on my list for sure, but I think depending on what sort of mood I'm in, either Soul Ring or Recall, probably Recall. Yeah, I'm on the Recall bandwagon as well. <clears throat> um, Jason took Soul Ring first overall. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and I don't... I, I understand that completely. I mean, he got mine to his back. <clears throat> That's pretty sweet. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> but... but uh, I don't know. I thought that I thought that that's always an interesting debate. And Jeff and I have fleshed this out before where recall is better in the late game. Soul ring is better in the opening hand. Like, what do you weigh more? And again, it comes down to what you want to do and what color you want to play. Like, if you don't really want to play blue, then you're probably just taking soul ring. Yeah. Drawing, drawing three cards for one mana is pretty much always going to be good, even if it's in the early game. Having two mana for a one mana investment isn't always going to be good. So, I mean, I mean, you need to make the case that one's better early and one's better late. But I think recall just across the board is, I mean, you're going to play it no matter what color you're in, and its effect is always going to be good for you and potentially win you the game no matter what. So I think Recall is just better in a number of ways. Yeah, it, it comes down to, like, it's okay in the early game. Like, it gives you more options, but you probably don't need more cards right then, but at least it does something where Soul Ring in a late game can often do nothing. Yeah, yeah speed up the land. And Recall is so cheap that even if you do have it in your opener, and while it's not exceptional there you can kind of fit it into your mana curve here or there, like just for a single blue mana that like, yeah, it's, it's always going to be good. It's, it might not always be completely bonkers like a turn one soul ring, but it's, it's still very good. Yeah. Are there any other first round picks you guys want to talk about here? Stuff that jumped out at you. We talk about Brian's Jace, the mind sculptor fourth overall, fourth overall. Yeah. I think like I asked him about that. And his response to me was, I don't know, I just wanted to play Jace the Mind Sculptor, which was... Uh, <laughs> I think that's the best argument you can make. I, I kind of think, he, he kind of seemed, like I told him he probably could have waited on it a few turns, and he kind of like agreed with me, and he, I don't think he knew that specifically, because he might have been the least familiar of anyone out of our 10 with our cube. So I think it was just came down to him not really having, you know, not having done this a few times like we all have. But... Um, I mean, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say Jace the Mind Sculptor fourth overall is a bad pick. I definitely think he could have waited on it a few turns. Um, but I mean, I think it's a super powerful card, and you know, nobody, nobody else picked a blue card aside from you know Time Walk and Recall, which are just kind of colorless. Until you know, it was Brian's turn again, we can pick another more blue cards. Um, so I mean, I think it was a fine pick, but he just could have waited. I found that it's pretty impressive that he got Mana Vault on the wheel. I think that's a much higher pick than Jace the Mind Sculptor, and he ended up yeah, in the second. You could, you could switch those two. You could have him take Mana Vault in the first round and Jace the Mind Sculptor and end up in the same place. And just looking back at this in retrospect, you would have thought we'd all think it'd be much better pick order. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, 
it's it's interesting. You can kind of look at that Jace pick in the first round and think to yourself, oh, well, that's a dumb pick. He could have waited. But when you see his next sequence of picks, like it, I'll just read them off. Mana Vault, Mana Drain, Vidalcan Shackles, Force of Will. Like, that's a deck. You know, he's he has yeah. a plan. Yeah, he kind of took his claim immediately. And there's something to be said about that. And this is another thing about rotisserie strategy that I think is interesting. It's whether or not you like stake your claim early or try to stay open for as long as possible. And I think that in general, it's actually better to stake your claim early. Do you yeah. guys agree or disagree? So, I mean, somebody always does this. Somebody just starts taking all the best mono red cards and somebody starts taking all the best, you know, it takes mana drain, uh, force of will early and then nobody else competes with them. Like nobody else goes for those blue control cards at all. Cause everyone's like, Oh, this guy's in blue control. So I don't want to fight with this guy. So I'll just let him have all these things with all these blue mana symbols on him and end up getting, you know, a really good deck. Yeah. It was kind of killing me that, that everybody or that nobody wanted to take any other red cards. Cause Boland just went for it. Like mock Sapphire goblin guide round one, essentially. And, like no, like nobody even tried to jump on like the good red removal. Like I know he took lightning bolt next, but but like there are other good red removal spells. Like I, I mean, one of my favorite decks is a, like a red control deck. So or obviously you got to pair that with something else. But but nobody like wanted like they were. I think everyone was afraid that like well he's gonna he's gonna get all the red cards I I want, so I'm not even gonna bother. It's also a matter of just people having played this cube enough and the the mono red deck is always there for somebody to draft even in just a regular eight man draft that I, th- I frankly i think people get bored of it and they come into something like this where you have all these options before you and you just say you know what i've played the mono red deck before i'm not going to be that guy this time yeah no i'm not talking about somebody else trying to get on mono red that would have been a, a disaster but just, just fight Boland for the red cards. Just fight Boland for like the red removal, essentially. Unlike unlike the mono blue cards, they're so splashable. You can play them in any deck. I mean, they just cost one red mana in a lot of cases. Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing we've talked about before, as far as this format is concerned, is the number of players and how important that is. Like we've done this with eight before, and eight is just stupid. You know. Yeah. Like you have to have at least ten, and I think the right number might be twelve. 12, I'd like to try 12. I don't know if we've done that before, but it's, every card in the cube is so powerful. If you have more players, it would put more of an emphasis on you to put more thought in your early picks, maybe pick lands a little higher, and just make the draft a little more competitive. Yeah, and that, that's what it comes down to. Is right As it turned out, the only people who had bad decks were the people who kind of fought with each other. And for the most part, it was just three people all going heavy on black right away, and it really diluted all of their decks. Yeah. Um, I was going to think that the mono red decks and mono blue decks might be a little overrated, and I might be kind of alone in this opinion. But someone, like I said, someone inevitably always gets you know quote unquote the nuts mono blue control and nuts mono red aggro decks, and they never. I mean, they don't kick everyone's ass. I mean, they they go like four and three or you know have more wins than losses, but they play a boring deck that has no creativity to it, and they don't you know they don't necessarily win the draft. So. Um, I do think both of those colors, both of those decks are slightly overrated. I, I think we've built our cube in a way that, like, it's actually much better to play <clears throat> red-black or red-white if you're going aggressive, just because it gives you so many more tools. Like, we really don't, uh, su- or we support it, but we don't, uh, encourage people to, to, to do mono. Like, there's only a few cards in red that really want you to be mono-red, really. 
I mean, yeah. like, and, and some of them are red white cards anyway, you know? Yeah, you can just ignore that and just say, you know what, I don't need ball lightning in my deck. I'm just gonna, you know, be be red black and get like the solid X like utility spells that will help me, you know, control the game a little bit more and and cheap black cards that draw you cards. Yeah, things like that, and it's. I don't know. Same with same with blue. Like mono blue makes absolutely no sense to me. Like it's just, I guess shackles is the only reason. Like a shackle or cryptic command. <laughs> is it a shackle? People? Shackle. It's a shackle. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean it's just like it's such a great control color. But really, it just really wants access to all the other colors. Just any of them, really. Just just yeah. one other one, and your deck gets like twice as good. Yeah, yeah. it's true. There's so many good gold cards too. You kind of pigeonhole yourself by just picking one color, you know, even allowing yourself, you know, heavy splash or like a light, a light second color. There's just so many good gold cards that you can get that go really late that could help out a mono blue deck or mono red deck so much. I mean, how much how much better is like Bloodbraid Elf in a red deck than not Bloodbraid Elf in a red deck? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, think... I, I mean, go ahead. Sorry. <clears throat> I was just gonna say like, uh, we we just have it set up so. It's like, like, you should be drafting two colors or more, and the people who draft one are probably just have it ingrained in their mind that like there's they they like to be one color like just no other reason besides it's like fun for them or something I don't know it's just, or it's like maybe it's the nostalgia factor you know it's also easier you know you just you, you, you go don't on have to autopilot think about your lands yeah yeah you're just like oh, i don't have to even worry about getting i can worry about getting some fetch lands if i'm on a red drafter but i don't need to worry about taiga or you know plateau or any of that shit the thing that i think the red deck the red decks that end up being really good in our cube the mono red is are, are the decks that just really try to grief you to death and and punish you with cards that aren't like typically thought of as mono red cards like when you get in there and play start playing Ankh of mishra and smokestack alongside your sulfuric vortex and a bunch of burn spells like the guys who go in on the the fire drinker satyr jackal pup goblin guide type cards typically don't do as well because there are so many other cards in the cube and other colors that are in there to deal with that like mono red weenie strategy I think you have to kind of take that mono red plan and attack from a slightly different angle to have it be really good. Yeah. So you want to start getting back on talking about picks? Yeah, let's do it. What do you want to talk about next? Well, uh, uh, in the spreadsheet, I don't know. I assume that uh, anyone who's following along, if they're at a computer, should be looking at this spreadsheet, hopefully. Yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, but uh, second round, we got uh, John on Armageddon highlighted here, and uh, I think that's a good thing to highlight because it's a pretty damn early like go for a card like that, right? Yeah, I think so. But after first pick Mox Pearl, I kind of like it. No, it <laughs> isn't. It is very interesting, um, and I do like the kind of direction that he's putting himself in with those two picks um kind of you know i mean he's definitely taking a, a space that he's like hey listen i'm gonna i'm gonna be aggressive <laughs> and uh really don't like his third pick because of those two picks though which is the bitter blossom really because i kind of like the bitter blossom in that regard why, uh, why don't you like it jeff it's not aggressive at all 
I, no, but it's it's inevitable. Yeah, yeah and, it's, but, and it's really good if you stick that and then Armageddon. <laughs> you know, because you're just going to be amassing these free resources, these free flyers, yeah. while your opponent is doing nothing because they don't have any land left. Yeah, but it also puts him in black, which is, I don't think, a good color for the Armageddon deck. No, that's a fair point. I think he'd rather be white green, or or white red. But I don't think he necessarily needs to kind of worry about what colors he's going to play with Armageddon, just as long as he bases his deck around it. I mean, the Mox Pearl, like you said, was a good first pick, and if he takes one of the left like Mox Diamond later, and it's kind of knows he's going to be casting Armageddon at some point, I think he can really play any of the other four colors that he wants to. It's still a pretty good deck. Yeah, I just think that black is less. Like it's just gonna be less aggressive in general. Well, uh, just looking it's not at an aggressive color. looking at all of his picks, he kind of gave himself <laughs> just a a mid range deck, which yeah. isn't, isn't the place for Armageddon. I yeah, I think he, that Armageddon plays well with Bitter Blossom because of the reason I stated earlier. But the fact that like most of his creatures are three drops or or higher, you know, he's not really sticking a bunch of early quality threats. Mm-hmm. That Armageddon kind of doesn't make sense in his deck. I think that the best Armageddon decks tend to be green, white, or white, red. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, do you guys like John's draft better if he takes Balance second pick instead of Armageddon? That's a good question. I uh, I think his deck would have changed. It would have been a good second or third pick for sure. Do you guys think Balance in a vacuum is a second round pick in the cube? Mm, I don't think it needs to be, but it, I'm not going to fault anybody for it. Fault I mean, some some of those, like we're talking about, some of these cards you know are going in the first round, the first second round. I mean, is balance a card you see going in the second round? Yeah, I can see it. I wouldn't take it there. It's one of those cards that requires too many other things to go right in your draft. You know, you really have to be able to load up on artifacts and enchantments after that. And most of the best artifacts go super early because anybody can play them. I would definitely say that balance is way better in a rotisserie draft than in a regular draft, though. Well, That's you fair. have more chances to kind of get lucky in a regular draft, too, with just what you open and what gets passed to you, as, whereas opposed to everybody has access to all the cards and all the time in a rotisserie draft. I know, <laughs> but I'm just, like, the fact that you have access to every artifact and every enchantment in the cube, like, it's not really possible for everybody to cut you off. Like, <laughs> you no. can make balance do something. You have some flexibility with it, too. Like, if you don't get the perfect first five picks with a balance, you can still kind of make some audibles and still have a pretty good balance-based deck. Yeah. I think in general, these drafts don't really start to define themselves until like the fourth, fifth, sixth rounds, because all of the cards taken in the first three rounds, even the like kind of questionable ones like Armageddon, like Bitter Blossom, they're still very powerful. And if you have a plan built around those cards, you can't really fault anybody for making those picks. Um, one of the cards that jumps out at me is a card that does seem like just a straight up mistake is Vampire Nighthawk in the third round. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Uh, I mean, I understand that it's a powerful card and it holds some nostalgia, like, but it's just not powerful enough to take that early. No. There's another instance, I think, like Brian before, Carmel just didn't have the experience with the cube that everyone else did, and so I think he just didn't realize he could have waited a lot longer to take Vampire Nighthawk, and he, he knew he wanted it, and he knew he wanted to play black, I guess, so he just went for it, but I think chalk it up to just not, not rotisserying the draft not drafting this cube rotisserie before is why he took a third round or fourth round. Yeah, I think that it's probably, like, he goes Mox Jed into Jite <clears throat> thinking, like, I'm going to be black aggro, 
not realizing our cube doesn't support black aggro very well. No. And then in sucks. the third pick, he's like, so which creature do I need to go with these? The start, and he's looking at our cube thinking, fuck, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Nighthawk, I guess? You know, like, that's, I don't, that's what it looks like in, from, at my perspective. But I don't, maybe he had a thought where he's like, well, I need life gain really bad for black, so I gotta prioritize it super high, maybe? I don't know, but it feels like way too, like, that could be like a 20th pick, and it was a third round pick, so I don't. Yeah, I mean, maybe not 20th round, because I think people prize efficient creatures, and they, 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 they prize life gain to a lesser extent, and just minimal resource investment on your return. And Vampire Nighthawk is pretty high up in that category. I mean, three mana for a two-power flying Death Touch lifelink guy is a pretty good ratio, I think, in a cube. But Yeah, but I mean, hurt. like, think about other three mana cards. Like, <clears throat> he ended up with this, like, many ter- many rounds later, but Recurring Nightmare. It's just, like, such a more important, just yeah. a better three mana black card. That card was around way too long. <laughs> That's a second round pick in my, my book. Right. He ended up getting it in the ninth round, though. So, I mean, it's it's funny. We can talk shit about the Vampire Nighthawk pick, but his fourth round pick was Animate Dead. He got yeah, hit to Torach in the sixth round. Like, he ended up with, like, all the best removal, or not removal, reanimator pieces. The thing is, is that Nighthawk pick... Didn't get the targets, really. Yeah, that Nighthawk pick just doesn't jive with all of that. It doesn't really make sense within the context of that deck. We can kind of do the same thing here and say, we'll just, we'll just switch his third and his... His uh, tenth round picks, and we'll just say he took Nightmare in the third round and Nighthawk in the tenth, and he's it looks dead. a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does look better. But even in that point, like I still don't know if you want Vampire Nighthawk there. No, he'd probably want something that goes a lot better with the Reanimator thing. Like he's yeah. just because yeah. you look at the creatures he he picked, and he did just kind of pick a bunch of efficient black creatures like Drana, Masticor, Necrotal, like Ink Eyes. Like these cards are. Like efficiently costed for everything they do for you, but they don't really do anything busted in the context of a a reanimator deck. Whereas, yeah. It, yeah, go. I mean, if you if you're taking Grizzlebrand or uh, I don't know, even something like Terastodon in, in one of those spots, I like this deck a lot more. For sure. Yeah, but, now I want to get to the uh, the pick that probably elicited the biggest reaction when it was made. <laughs> Jordan taking sneak attack in the third round. What? (laughs) Yeah. Spencer, how did that pick make you feel? (laughs) Uh, Made me feel frustrated and more than a little confused because now I had nothing to do. (laughs) I based my whole, I mean, Jeff and I brewed a deck up for myself over a good, you know, five hours throughout the week before instead of working. Um, And one of the bases of this deck was sneak attack. And I kind of, I mean, I plan on taking it early. I plan on maybe taking it in the first five picks because um, it's kind of an outlier card that can either go really early or people could sleep on for a long time. And I just wanted to make sure I had it. So when Jordan took it in the third round, I did not see that coming at all and just totally threw my entire deck for a loop. And granted, at that point, I'd only taken Time Walk and Demonic Tutor, so I was still pretty wide open. But it just, like, he pulled the rug out from underneath me and I just didn't know what I was going to do next. I didn't know what deck I was going to play because the deck I was going to play was 100% based around sneak attack. So I couldn't do that anymore. <laughs> right. It's uh, funny because even after Jordan got sneak attack there, Ryan took Enlightened Tutor before it got back to you anyway, which I'm sure is another card you would have wanted, right? Uh, I would have wanted Enlightened Tutor. I, I think so. I, I don't know if I was planning on, on playing White at that point. I mean, it's, it's definitely a card that obviously you want to Enlightened Tutor for sneak attack, but 
Um, I mean, I was playing on playing Heavy Blue, so it's just playing on drawing cards to get to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a funny pick, though. I, I enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, but by, by the way, Spencer mentioned that he that we that I helped him think up a, a deck idea. I did that with pretty much like half the people in this draft. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I at least talked to people about their ideas and stuff. Yeah, I mean, that yeah. whole plan of me getting Black Lotus and then Mind Twist was something that Jeff and I had come up with. And uh, actually, the pick that elicited the second biggest reaction was one where Spencer took Smokestack in the 18th round. And that was a card I was kind of hoping to base my deck around. And I, again, like Spencer, I waited too long on it, you know? Mm-hmm. That was that was brutal. <laughs> I think it's an important lesson in the cube is that if you have a specific card that is either going to make your deck or be a very integral part of your deck, and you think you can wait on it for a little while, it's it's probably better just to not fly too close to the sun and just pick it earlier. Just go get it, you know? If you need it, don't try to maximize your value by waiting on it. Just just pick it when whenever you can. Yeah, Jordan did that quite well. Yeah, yeah. his deck was very focused, and it was definitely one of the top three decks, I think, in this. The Jordan's deck was sweet. It, it crushed, I think, almost everybody. I think he lost one match. Who did he lose to? I know? can't remember. It wasn't me. He destroyed me. I and think Russell, Russell won four of his five matches, too. Yeah, yeah Russell only lost one. Russell's deck was good. Jordan's deck was good. Ryan's deck was pretty good, although I think he lost two or three matches. But um, And my deck was pretty good, too. I, I only lost to Jordan. But I never played against Ryan. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Everybody else's deck sucks. <laughs> Next next card I wanted to talk about was uh, Sword of Fire and Ice with the, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, sixth five, six, round. sixth round. So first pick of the sixth, or no, last pick of the sixth round. Yeah. And my, my general question is, is this the best sword? Is this the sword you should take first if you're uh, going to take a sword? I think it is myself. I think it's, it might be the easy answer to say that because just because drawing a card and dealing two damage is pretty sweet, but... I definitely think there are instances where some of the swords would be better. Like, um, War and Peace can be super brutal sometimes. I think War and Peace just is the most damage, potentially, just all out. You're going fast. And you can do some pretty broken stuff with the Light and Shadow, too, just returning guys, if you want to do that. Um, but I think maybe in a vacuum, Fire and Ice is the best one. But I wouldn't jump to a conclusion just to say yes right away. You know, it kind of depends on what circumstances it's in. Yeah, I actually think they're all, they all have their own little day in the sun i mean body and mind it like kills the fastest um and then uh what's the green black one feaster famine has kind of the most busted ability right yeah on top of your lands yeah and that's so it does yeah so like they each have their own place i i think it's just my play style i prefer fire and ice fire and ice like- is definitely the most well-rounded of them because it is good kind of no matter what you're trying to do. Yeah. But you're like body and mind and war and peace, both clock faster. You know, if yeah. you're just trying to beat down, I think that those are the ones you want. Um, you have to build around those more than you yeah. do. Fire There's something that I... you said about the color protection that each one gives you as well. Like which one do you think grants the best two protections? I think it's probably light and shadow. Light and shadow. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Light and shadow. There's an argument for uh war and peace, I think too, but, Fair. Yeah, I mean, maybe one of those two, just because they have the most targeted removal, those three colors. Yeah. Can we talk about some of the picks that just went too late? Because there are a lot of them, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Spencer, Skull Clamp in the sixth round. Yeah, Skull Clamp, people kind of forget that that card is there, I think, but there was a couple. I mean, my deck, obviously, I was playing tokens if uh, people weren't looking at the spreadsheet, and mono white tokens. And there's a lot of times in my deck, Skull Clamp was, I'll pay one, I'll draw two cards. Okay, I think what I need, I'll draw two more cards. Okay, I think what I need, to draw two more cards. And just I could just draw eight cards a turn and still cast more spells. It was insane. Yeah, Skull Clamp is, is just absurd if you have. I mean, it's absurd in every deck, but if you build around a Skull Clamp even a little bit, even if you get one or two cards that have some synergy with it, like that make a couple of dudes, like you get a, um, what's his face? The, uh, just anything that makes 1 1 tokens and is on a stick, then Skull Clamp just becomes absurd. Well, let's look at what you had. You had both Elspeths, the, the original and the third incarnation, the most recent. You had Soren, Lord of Innistrad. Yeah. Uh, what other ways did you have to make 1 1s? Lingering Souls. Did you have the, um, uh, what's that? Three white make three one one flyers card. Spectral, Spectral procession. Yeah. Yes, I did. Okay. <laughs> Cloud goat ranger is what I was thinking of. I played that as well. Okay. And so increasing devotion. devotion. There's and a deck. <laughs> Marshall Hero, Hero, Hero Blade. Yeah. So that's quite a few yeah. token makers. <laughs> I mean, we talked about how ancestral recall is like, as far as we're concerned, the card that should be picked first overall. Skull Clamp lets you do something close to that every turn oh, if, you, yeah. if you have the tokens and for colorless mana instead of blue mana. Like the yeah. card is very good if you can build around it. And the fact that you got it at seven, like I, I honestly think that the mono red deck wants it just as much, you know? And probably I, I, any, any deck with a surplus of creatures is going to play more, it's play like 10 creatures you want it because it totally, people don't realize this, but. An active skull clamp on a creature will totally affect how the game gets played, and your opponent will play around it so much. And just turning turning your two two into a three one almost gives it some sort of evasion because they don't want to block it, and they don't want to have you draw two, and it makes their attacks in you so much harder if, if you can block and maybe kill one of their guys and draw two cards. It makes it just alters the tempo of the game so much because people don't want you to draw a bunch of cards off of it and just slowly just lose this war of attrition. Not slowly, like really quickly lose this war of attrition. <laughs> By just losing, just having so much more cards than your opponent, it's it, it has such an impact on the game. Totally. Yeah, I just see this figure of destiny in the mono red deck four picks earlier, and I just like I think about how much better that deck would have been if it's if that pick had been skull clamp, because the the figure of destiny would have come back, and, and by the fifth round or whatever this was, yeah, it's, it's going to be clear. It was clear that there were no other mono red drafters, you know, and figure yeah. of yeah. destiny while it, was it can almost be clear that there was no red drafters besides him. Exactly, and I, I don't know. This, again, comes back to, like, when you're drafting Mono Red, you kind of have to think outside the box. You have to think, okay, like, what support cards am I going to use to win? And, I, I mean, actually, another card that I thought went way too late was the Sulfuric Vortex that he took three picks before the Skull Clamp. Like, that card, if you are Mono Red, is so important to that plan that I think you take it in the third, like, second or third round every time. Like, I, I don't even know why you wait around. You kind of just contradicted yourself a little bit because, I mean, you're talking about taking the support cards, the cards that Mono Red, like Smokestack, like Skull Clamp, the cards that everyone's going to be fighting for. If you're a Mono Red drafter and it's clear you're a Mono Red drafter, no one's going to take Sulfuric Vortex. That is a card you can definitely wait on. The only time people take it was they hate, just hate pick you. That, but, I mean, that's what I'm, that's the argument I'm making is like, don't let that happen to yourself because it is, that is one of the linchpins. Like, that's what makes that Mono Red deck tick, in my opinion, is the, is the Vortex. <laughs> People can play Sneak Attack in any deck, and they can play Smokestack in a variety of decks. You're not going to play Sulfuric Vortex in any deck other than Mono Red. Or Red X Aggro, but yeah. An aggressive Red deck, which there was no other iteration of in this draft, and you could have waited on it. Yeah, 
I mean, I don't know. I, again, I don't think he waited too long necessarily on that. I'm just surprised it went that late. Um, but my, my argument is more that he should have taken Skull Clamp over Figure Destiny. Yeah. I can see yeah. That. A lot of his guys do have one toughness, though. And, I mean, I guess that might be the point. But then he just starts running out of guys. I mean, he has young Pyromancer. Yeah, I think it's yeah. okay. I think killing your Fire Drinker Slater to draw two cards, totally worth it in Rip Monored. I mean, you're going to get... If you can draw enough cards, you're just going to get enough burn to where you don't even need creatures. Yeah, that's kind of how Mono Red wins, though, is they get you to, to like six, and then they start losing the game on the board, and then they just burn you to death. Right, but Skull Clamp helps you kind of bridge that gap and give you that extra reach, because you can just put it onto your Goblin Guide, and while it doesn't kill it and let you draw the two cards right away, turn that 3-1 sideways. Are you going to take three, or are you going to let me draw two more burn spells? You know, Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um. What other cards jumped out of you guys? We already talked about Recurring Nightmare in the ninth round. That was pretty fucking Cra- ridiculous. Crazy, yeah. Uh, the Another interesting one uh, was a pick you made. Ruffalos or Ruffalos in, in the eighth round when Jordan Ooh. is kind of obviously trying to ramp. Uh, yeah, but he, he was also trying to sneak attack. Like I think that was the difference. Like Channel was more important to him than Ruffalos. Oh, and I agree with that in his deck. I think that maybe Ruffalos is more important than Primeval Titan, but I don't know. That's, it's I just, mean, or Birds Paradise. Or Birds, yeah, definitely better than Birds. I mean, that that I think that's just a straight mis, misplay or whatever you want to call that. At that point, I have a feeling his thought was, I'm the only green drafter, because nobody else, like, that was the first green, tar- eh, that was the first green card that I took. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you can look through my first, what is that? Seven picks. And I kept myself very open. I only, I took all colorless cards except for vampiric tutor, which isn't really that much of a color commitment. And when I saw right. Rofalo sitting there in the eighth round and again, kind of identifying that nobody else was in green yet. Um, it yeah, was a pretty I, easy I think, pick to make. Yeah. I think only one other person besides Jordan had a green card. Yeah, and it was a Tarmogoyf uh, for Jason, right? Yeah, which is kind of a weird pick, but he did have Bizarre already. It's kind of a weird Ch- Channel was also synergy. gone at that point. No, no, I know. They said besides Jordan. Oh, besides Channel, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Jordan was uh, definitely a green, but nobody else had really cemented themselves. And Rofalos, if you're going to play green, is one of the best green cards in the cube. I mean... Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, one Double of those cards is yeah, very, very powerful and usually goes within the first four rounds or first five rounds. Yeah, and just very unique. Like not enough there isn't another green card besides maybe like channel that is as unique as Rafellos. Yeah. Uh, third turn uh Titan. You do a lot of third turn six six cast class creatures. Yeah, it's pretty easy to do. Yeah. With some consistency. Um how about not- tre- treachery three, oh, or, three or four rounds later? I was about to say that. Treachery is like a like a top two round pick to me as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's so good. It's so much better than a lot of the cards Brian took before that. Well, and, and Russell. Like Russell that. took a bunch of blue cards that weren't as yeah, good as Treachery. Totally. Yeah, and it's like, wow. When when that when I saw that pick, I was like, that can't be right. Somebody else already took that, right? Like <laughs> that's not right. I, by the way, listeners, I was not part of this draft, but I am such an nerd. I I just watched them draft it online. Jeff Did you was, watch the whole thing? Uh, no, but I I paid attention to the spreadsheet pretty much the, throughout the whole time. It's been on for a while. Yeah, yeah I know it was hours. <laughs> 
I wanted yeah, to talk. Sure. I wanted to talk about Tundra. Spencer took Tundra in the tenth round. That was the first dual land taken. Is that yeah. too early? Not early enough. I well, like. I liked it. I mean, you know me and and non basics. That's I love to take non basics and cube. But yeah, my experience has been that especially the dual lands and fetch lands start going around round ten, round ten to fifteen. It didn't happen here, but. You can always get playable cards with your last picks. And we had a big argument about how many picks we were going to do before we started. And if you're doing 45, which we didn't do, you can get a ton of really playable cards with your last picks. And which and all the good mana fixing is gone at that point. So you can get spells, but not dual lands. So I figured I'm just going to go get the lands that I want to make my deck work. And I'll be able to find spells that I can play and, and make a solid 23 with the sideboard much later. So I'll just prior, prioritize these dual lands right now. Yeah. yeah, I think I think consistency in cube is like one of the or it's it's the most important thing it when drafting and uh, duels and f- fetches are and what tutors. make decks consistent. Yeah, yeah, and make your decks smooth is is what's what you need. Yeah, totally. And having something to do on each turn and having your cards interact with each other really well makes for a good cube deck. Yeah, because everybody's gonna be throwing haymakers. It just depends on who stumbles first. Yeah, exactly. So. I mean, I, I, so this is probably an argument to be made to pick fetch lands over dual lands. Um, I mean, obviously they thin out your deck, and there's some ways to... There are two of, different dual lands you can grab? There's two different dual lands you can grab, and you can always get basic lands if you need to, and you can do it again if you have um, Crucible Worlds. So, I mean, I'm not... I don't know if I think one type is better than the other, but I think they're both better than, than the shock lands. I think I would pick the straight up dual lands first, and then start picking fetch lands, and then shock lands. Yeah, that was one of my biggest regrets was taking overgrown tomb instead of taking uh, the black green fetch land. Verdant. Yeah, verdant catacombs. Like catacombs. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, another awesome pick uh, was Phyrexian Metamorph in the eleventh round. Yeah, it was really good. Uh, I yeah, I was like. I was talking to Russ as like uh, through texts at the time, but as like I'm reading this this sheet and I see Phyrexian Metanorf and I just sent him a text. I was just like, "You fucking master!" Yeah, <laughs> I told him that was a nice pick. Yeah, I was like, "Damn, dude, that was a nice sneak." Like I that was probably just like because once it goes past a certain round, certain like certain cards, right? Like treachery, you know. These cards that once they go past a certain round, people stop thinking about them. I bet, like, just because you don't like you don't think the treachery's still there in twelfth round, or like these like three mana clones like that. We can, are... You can still see it though, is the thing. No, I know, but I don't know. It's it's less on your mind probably. He and... just had so many good targets for it too already. Like he already had oh, Snapcaster, yeah. Batter Skull, Restoration Angel. Glenelendra, Archmage, Sword of Light and Shadow. Like, like he was going to make that Metamorph do something insane every game. Well, he, he can't target the Glenelendra. Uh, if he wanted to kill it. <laughs> wanted to kill his own Glenelendra, he could. No, no, Vandillion Click is the one that's legendary. No, they're both legendary. Oh, they're both legendary. Are you serious? He has a proper noun for a name, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, they're both People, legendary. That, Damn, dude, I thought only one of them was. My bad. No. Both are. But that, that card might be one of the most underrated carbs, cards in the cube. I mean... Metamorph? I yeah. Yeah, I agree. I don't know how many times I cast it and said, I'll, I'll copy your sword, or I'll copy your your skull clamp. And people are like, no, 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 you idiot. You can't do that. And then I'm like, no, read a card. Like, copy an artifact or a creature. <laughs> it's <laughs> or, so good. And the or fact just like... Any card can play it. There's such a, a problem with um, 
I mean, well, not a problem, but we really do support combo really well, which combo tends to always be put out a giant fatty as fast as possible. It's such a good counter to that. It's just yeah. like they do it on their turn, and then you're like, all right, well, I spend three mana and one card to do the thing you just spent three cards to do, you know? Yeah. No, we both have giant fatties. Yeah. <laughs> Can we switch gears here and talk about some cards that were picks we didn't like? Sure. Can I start yeah. off with Sensei's Divining Top? In the fifth round, is it, that yeah. was the point of his deck, though. Yeah, but it's super early. I just think I, it's, think so. I just think the card is overrated in cube. I mean, it gives yeah. you card selection, which is good. And, and granted, this is coming from the same guy who took Sylvan Library like later in the draft, so I, I understand the power of that card. But I don't know. Like, I just maybe it's just because I don't like playing with it or against it that I think that it's <laughs> like I. It's almost a card I'd rather see just cut from the cube. No way. Uh, I don't think we should cut that card. But yeah, okay. I, I I, do think it's only good in a deck like Ryan's. It's, uh, no, it's not only good. It's better than normal, but it's good in any deck. No, I disagree with that. Completely. Well, we should talk about what Ryan's deck was trying to do to kind of put this in context. All right. Yeah, he was trying to set up miracles. Yeah. In part. In part, he's well. He's he's doing basically. He's trying to alter the top of his library, uh, like with crazy precision, <laughs> essentially. Did yep. you talk to him about this deck? Yeah, the we draft? we we kind of built it together. Ryan is a master brewer, by the way. Oh, I I know. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> I mean, I, there's nobody I play more magic with than Ryan. I I play magic with Ryan all the time online. Some the, some of the stuff he comes up with, I just like. He's got a beautiful mind for magic brewing. <laughs> How the fuck he's come up with this shit? I just don't understand it sometimes. Well, you know how much of a you know hard on he has for balance, so it's just like yeah, it yeah. just it just grew out of that. It was just like His hard well, I want to play balance, so I want artifacts and enchantments. Oh fuck, I love land tax with scroll rack. Let's build that deck. You know. OPS. Let's get Sensei's dividing top as many fetch lands as I can and dark confidant. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, he just alters the top of his deck to incredible precision so he gets like these crazy turns i, I don't know it's really cool really looks like a really fun deck yeah it was definitely out of left field and i did not see it coming whatsoever i've never seen anybody build this deck in the cube and i was i was pretty impressed and it played pretty well yeah yeah you just sacrifice all these one mana permanents the greater gargonon and then after he, he exploited them for five turns and just get crazy value okay yeah, Gar- so gargonon was kind of his main focus at the beginning so if you if all right i'll concede that sensei's top was definitely a little bit better in his deck than in other cube decks what about Everflowing chalice three picks or four picks later like does does this deck need that card is that card actually that good i think no questions it's good but it's not that good what is it i mean doesn't really play with his deck it doesn't start jumping out as me as this is a sweet pick for ryan no Makes a lot more sense in other people's decks. Yeah, it does. Like, yeah, it's not like he has the Rofalos to really abuse it or the channel. It's just, it's there to kind of add some incidental ramp for cards like Bonfire and Entreat the Angels. It was just a really, 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 really bad soul ring for him. <laughs> <laughs> that was three reallys. Yeah. It was three times as bad because it cost three more mana to do the same thing. Yeah. yeah. So that, that was another pick that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, I do want to point out that his 26th pick parallax wave. I was oh, trying, God. I was trying really hard to get him to pick it earlier, and he was like, "Is that card even 
Oh, that card's Great. so good. I know. That sucks. Hate what? That hate that card. You're crazy. I am crazy. That card's great. I, I think that... it's good on your own stuff. If you use it to, like, just blink your board for a second, you blink all your, like, 187 creatures and then just have it die right away, that's good. But... Oh, no. It buys you so much time. Especially, again, when, you, when it comes down to cube, a lot of what cube is is, like, I'm going to put out one enormous threat that's very difficult to deal with, and Parallax Wave can just be like, yeah, that's not such a big deal anymore. And it's so good against other cards, like equipment, like uh, any sort of enchantments, like like creature enchantments, I mean. I don't know. I, it just, it's a very versatile card, and I, I like so, that. I value that a lot in cube. In that scenario, I'd much rather, if you just have one giant threat and you're dealing with it, dealing with it with Parallax Wave, there's so many other good white cards that do the same thing for less. Yeah, I mean, but not that you can get in the 26th round. And also deals with every other board state. I mean, deals with every board state. It really does. And, I mean, truthfully, it's not at its best in Ryan's deck. It's at, at its best in Russell's deck, which I he really should have picked it at, you know, at some point before that. But um, in a deck, you want to control the board. There is, I don't think there's a better card in the cube than Parallax Wave to, to control creatures on the board. I, I will concede that it is a good card, and I think I just personally don't care for it that much. But I think it's one of those cards that I might come around on in time. I just think that the fact that it ticks down doesn't permanently deal with stuff kind of bothers me a little bit, although sometimes I know that's a moot point. Um, like I said, I do like it much better blinking your own guys and having come back and getting value off of that. I think that's pretty superb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, more cards I didn't like. Brainstorm. Sorry, Spencer. Another card I think is overrated. Would have um, been good in Ryan's deck. <laughs> right. Again, well, it's, it's one of those cards you have to build around with fetches or some other way to kind of also manipulate the top of your library. But uh, I just wanted to I wanted to draw cards and dig into my deck, and I think Brainstorm is one of the better ways to do that in the twelfth round. What do you think about Preordain? Uh, I like Brainstorm better. Why? Um, I like the fact that you can actually draw three cards and then put cards back. Like you can put cards from your hand that you drew with Brainstorm back. But what if they're cards you didn't want? I mean, I mean, I get that if it was a preordain, you had two cards in your hand you didn't want. You're not getting rid of those anyway. But if one of the three cards you draw off Brainstorm is one of those cards, then preordain kind of is better, right? Preordain, like you draw one and scry two, or is it that the other way way? around? You scry two, then draw one. Yeah. Um, I like the I like the fact that you can have access to all three of those cards with Brainstorm. Like you get access whether you want like if you want all three of those cards, you can have them. You just put cards from your hand back. Where if you if you preordain, you get only one of those cards. You don't get you know, that turn. You know, I like that from Brainstorm better. And I know this is kind of like a narrow scenario, but there's been times when I've been happy to put cards in my hand back on top of my library because I could. It meant something else, and then I could, you know, um, miracle them or something like that, you know? Protect yeah, yourself or, from a mind twist or something like that. Or protect myself. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's definitely some applications for the fact that you can put cards from your hand back with Brainstorm, and I think it's better because it digs for three. And it might not have been the best pick for me there, but I just was thinking about just drawing cards and kind of getting through my deck some at that point. Yeah, it also is instant speed compared to sorcery. so that's a which, big, is, which is huge, yeah. yeah. So, yes, I like Brainstorm better than Preordain. I think that's not even close for me. Well, I think it's close, but I don't know. I mean, it might have been a bad pick. I don't even know if I ended up playing Brainstorm. I think it was mostly mono-white plus time walk. 
um, <laughs> mono time walk. Did you play the black? No, I didn't play any black. I cut all the really? black. Really? Yeah. Even Soren? Yeah, even Soren. I cut every single black. I just played mono white and then some time walk. Huh. And I splashed black to flashback lingering souls. Oh, so you did play some black. Yeah, I mean, just the, just the flashback. Is all. So what, a is, there, is there a thought to playing Tudor? And that, that uh, I mean, I'm just, this is kind of off topic because we're talking about deck building now, but. Well, the, the Tudor was when I was still drafting Sneak Attack. And I was Tudor's like, good in every deck, yeah? <laughs> in mean, every deck, Agreed. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's not it like is. you have to be combo. But I didn't actually end up drafting that many black cards. I mean, compared to my white, and it, it just seemed better to me to have a really efficient white deck. And another big thing for me was that a lot of my uh, Glorious Anthem type cards that gave all my tokens plus one, plus one, just gave white tokens plus one, plus one. So the Sorn makes black guys, and there was something else that didn't play well with it. And just looking at my deck laid out, it just looked a lot better to play white. I think everyone on my team agreed. Okay. It just, I, I mean, looking at what you picked, it looked like you could make the mana work. Just with like creeping tar pick, mirror aqueduct, and the two duels. I don't know. Yeah, it wasn't the mana. It was the fact that I think that the mono white deck was better. Okay. I, I might have been wrong. I mean, my deck was shitty no matter what. <laughs> it might have been less shitty without the demonic tutor, with the demonic tutor, I should say. But I, I don't know. I think I just wanted to have more planes in my deck and not play the black spells. I it just. It just there was a couple reasons, like I said, it just played better with some of the other white cards. And mm-hmm. There's just so many good white cards I didn't really need to play black. Yeah. I should have played green is what I should That was kind of my takeaway from this draft was that one of the things that we're trying with our cube is to add new archetypes to it, and one of the newer archetypes is tokens. And I think the white tokens are fine, but I think it's would have been much better if I played green as well. There was a couple other reasons why I wanted to play green to, to make some of the tokens better. But I think that's the kind of the, the, the path we should take. This is kind of off topic as well in terms about rearranging our cube. But I think it's the path we should take going forward is to push green white tokens a little bit. Because I think that's a lot more powerful than just mono white or white black. Mm-hmm. I think green was just the color that wasn't drafted enough in this in this pod. Green and blue. Well, nobody lot... take any green cards until like way late in the draft. So it was just like nobody's taking any. Yeah. It's true. It's, it might be a little underrated. I think, I mean, I think green in regular draft people really like just because you can get Llanowar Elves and Ramp and, you know, Rampant Growth and stuff like that on the wheel. And maybe people don't really think about what cards you get value off of late picks in Roto so much. And so people kind of underestimate green and don't, don't pick it when they can take cards like Mind Twist and, you know, uh, Cryptic Command and, you know, Balance and stuff and just have all these great cards in white, blue, and black. Yeah, green definitely has the least amount of broken cards, probably. Oh, but... I'm not sure I agree with that. <laughs> really? Tell yeah. me, na- name them. Uh, natural balance. order, channel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah Those yeah. are the two that came to mind. I couldn't Rofalos. think of it. Uh, I guess Rofalos, yeah. Um, Eureka, when do we put it in? Yeah. Do we ever Eureka? We, I'd want, we don't, but <laughs> oh, we will. Okay, okay, so. I'll, um, I'll say, I'll say Plow Under. <laughs> Eternal Witness? Uh, I don't know if those are broken. Uh, they're very, very good. They're good, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I'd say I think the red, red is the color with the least yeah, broken red, cards. Yeah, red, red, yeah, I was wrong. Red, red totally has the least amount. But, I don't know. 
I would say that red should be the least drafted color than green on a like a roto. Like I expect that from roto. I expect people to want the blue and black and white cards because there's a lot of really effed up things that a lot of those cards do. <laughs> yeah, it's the least. It's, those cards are the least fair. They definitely have the most dominating effects compared to green, certainly. Um, another uh, weak pick. Uh, you have listed here is Loxodon Warhammer. I oh. 100% agree with that. That's it was thir- taken before some of the swords. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, oh. it might just come down to Cartmill just not having played with the other equipment. I don't know. But... Or in life. Uh, yeah, I mean, if he's that worried about... I mean, he did take Vampire Nighthawk 3rd. Maybe he's that worried about life gain. But wait, which swords are available here? Uh, Feast and Famine. That, okay. And... Any that gain life? Uh, the War and Peace, is that available? I think looks, it is. Looks like it is. War and Peace That's... went really late. Yeah, where is it? It's down <laughs> to the 26th round. It's Whoa. highlighted. Jesus. Yeah, so Warhammer, not a great pick. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, a couple rounds later, John took Nazumi Shortfang. I don't like that pick either. I mean, that that's another card that just feels underpowered most of the time. Card sucks. Yeah. Yes, I was arguing with Spencer that it's good. <laughs> I mean, what, why do you part? think it's good? Like, I mean, I understand the applications ah. of the card, but... Yeah, when you I see guess... it taken here, you like that. Ha- you you have to know that that's bad, right? That that's not a yeah, good. Yeah, no, pick. I I agree. Um, I just like what it does for the black control decks. Uh, similar to, I mean, it's not as good, but similar to uh, like Mesmeric Fiend and things like that. Um, just like card advantage and I don't know, I. I really don't have a great argument for it. I just like it, <laughs> and it's like the the my favorite thing about it is that it can make them discard at instant speed, which is like one of the only cards that can do that. Um, yeah, the turn after you cast it, though, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's the killer. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think I mean, that alone makes it unplayable. I think it, I've been wanting to cut this card for so long. I hate this card. <laughs> well. I think I think if in the right deck, it's it's another one of those cards where if you pair it up with if you're the braids smallpox deck, you know the smokestack yeah. deck per se, yeah, like that that's where this card can be good because you can stick that on turn two and just start abusing it. Just say okay, discard. I'm gonna lock you out of some of your other stuff. Just basically be the grief deck where you're just like oh, I'm gonna make you discard everything and play him to Turok and Mind Twist and Azumi Shortfang, Duress and Thoughtseize and. You're just not going to have any of your best cards when we play this game. Like that's that's the deck that it works in, but that's not the deck that John was drafting. You know, no, I mean, no, he had no. Thoughtseize, he had the Liana the Veil, and it looks like Hypnotic Specter. So I mean, I guess maybe he was on that plan. He actually ended up with Duress as well, but uh, yeah, I just like there are more busted things you can be doing in the cube. I think that's what it comes down to for me. Yeah, I, Black just doesn't have good two drops. <laughs> Sorry, Black. No, not really. Let's uh, get back to some of the the more interesting, like good picks, like picks that jumped out at you guys. Is I don't know, really good. And the one that I'm looking at right now that seems kind of insane to me is Maloku in the 18th round. I see a more insane one four picks later. 
four picks later. Phantasmal image. Oh, four rounds later, you mean? Or four rounds, that's what I meant. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, again, blue was pretty underdrafted. There were only two blue drafters, really. Yeah. Yeah, Malok is pretty awesome, especially for Brian's deck. Like, it's just a very solid finisher that is incredibly difficult to deal with. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it's that, in the context of Brian's deck, it's that amazing, because he has the shackles and the treachery already, which is kind of how he kills. I think Maloku, I mean, it's obviously it's, it's really good, but um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think he just wins by playing the long game. Like, he doesn't really have to, you know, worry about having his own fatties when he can just steal Well, Maloku is the long game. I don't know. I It is. I think that it's not it's not crazy to have more than two win conditions in a deck. Shut up. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah, I actually think Phantasmal Image is more impressive. Phantasmal Image has been super impressive to me, especially, it's just like in Cube, there aren't that many, uh, like, abilities that target creatures. That don't that, kill them already. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, already. exactly. Yeah. And so, and yeah, and all the spells that are going to target the image are going to kill it anyway. So it's like, it's just essentially a two-mana clone, is what it yeah, feels like. That's 100% correct. Yeah, so... <laughs> Can we go? Plus, a lot of the guys on our cube do something when they come into play. So, does Phantasmal Image comes into play as it, or it, it comes changes? into play as it? Yeah. Yeah. So that's really good. Yeah. Can we just go six picks later and then look at the tinker that he got? I mean, <laughs> how does that happen? Yeah. That might be one of my favorite picks of this draft. That was really good. I can't believe it lasted that long, even with only two blue drafters. Like, oh God, it's one of those cards that usually goes in the first five rounds. And he got yeah. it in the 28th. Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things where uh, obviously it was completely off of Russell's mind. He wasn't looking to tinker. Um, maybe he should have been. I mean. Well, and Brian totally was. You could see him with the Mere Battlesphere earlier. Thran yes. Dynamo. Yep. Uh, Crystal Shard. Like, he was setting himself up to go get these kind of... He ended up with, like, the Mind Slaver Lock if you wanted it. Inkwell Leviathan. Mm-hmm. Like, he ended up with, with the blue Tinker deck. But he didn't have to pay the premium on Tinker, which is kind of absurd. Yeah. How did his deck do? It was good. I think he, I mean, what was his record? He was kind of like 500, right? Or somewhere around 500. Oh, see, I thought he went like X2, but I, I could be wrong. Well, I mean, there is no real 500. He's good. He's <laughs> it's only five two rounds, or two yeah. and three. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, that deck, I'm sure, would be quite difficult to play as well. That's, that's the thing that always turns me off about playing the mono blue deck is that you really have to be judicious with your counter spells and because that's a lot of what you're playing as far as removal goes uh you can lean on your like control magic effects to kind of make up for some of that like if your opponent sticks something and you don't have the counter at that time but knowing when to counter something versus not counter something in cube is pretty tricky because all the spells are good right and the, the thing about a draft like this, where you you know exactly what all your opponents are playing because you see them make their picks, it's a lot harder to play the counterspell deck because people are going to intentionally try to bait out your counters with their second-best spells. Yeah. So one thing that I, I kind of want to bring up that listeners may not be aware of, or, or I'm sure they aren't, is that we used to have a surplus of Wrath of God effects in our cube. We had a lot of white wraths. There was maybe five or six ways to wrath the board. 
Yeah. And we recently cut a few of them to try to make Wrath of God a more unique effect and, and raise its value in drafts, and especially Roto drafts. And it got picked in the 33rd round. <laughs> it was like almost at the end of the draft, Wrath of God itself, the best Wrath, got picked. Well, Damnation got picked on the 22nd. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I took... I took um, a, a Wrath before it. What was the one that, that makes tokens? Uh, yeah. Um, Marshalls? No, not Marshalls. No, Mar- Marshall Coup came later. Yeah. Oh, it did. Anyways, but I mean, what do you think that guy s- that says is that Wrath of God and Damnation are going, are going late? I mean, they're such unique effects, and sometimes the only thing that'll stop you from losing the game, the only single card you could top deck that next turn has to be a Wrath of God. And that's the, kind of the only effect like that in the cube. And the fact that it went went that late, like, what do you think that says? I think it says that our cube is full of uh, threats that are just single creatures that can win the game on their own. Yeah, there aren't enough swarming strategies in this cube besides the mono-red deck. And even, like, I've, I've talked about this already, the mono-red deck can also not try to be that deck of, like, swarming with small creatures. So, I, I, the other thing it definitely speaks to is the fact that there weren't that many white control players... Uh, as normal. I mean, John was definitely trying to play creatures and attack. Uh, Ryan probably could have taken Wrath of God. Like, that. there's your argument against Parallax Wave, is the yeah. fact that Wrath of God went however many rounds later. Like, I, I think the wave is better than Wrath. But no way, you're crazy. I'm not crazy. I don't know if you're Wrath crazy, but I definitely think Wrath of God is... Or I shouldn't say... Yeah, I think it's a better card. It's not... Uh... Parallax Wave doesn't hit your own dudes. <laughs> um, well, I mean, sometimes... Ryan, yeah, but it's not like Ryan, Ryan had that many dudes. That's that's yeah. the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, like, and Ry- in Ryan's deck, maybe the, the Wrath is better. That is possible. And probable, now that I'm looking at his deck with no creatures in it. <laughs> Plus, so, Wrath doesn't target, and, I mean... Yeah, sometimes guys, you can't target. everybody. Yeah, but yeah, I, thought, I actually highlighted the Wrath of God and Damnation to kind of illustrate that difference. To say like it's it's interesting that Damnation went in the twenty second round, but Wrath of God didn't go until the thirty third. Like they, that's kind of weird. Is Damnation our only sweeper in black? Pretty sure, yeah. yeah. Oh wow, Living Death, which went fourth round. Yeah, <laughs> same deck. Yeah, same deck that's got both cards. Might have been a mistake. The Living Death. Like, yeah, I mean, it went before Recurring Nightmare, didn't it? It did. It did. Well it did, before, yeah. yeah. But I, it, went, it went before Animate that as well, right? Or no, after. No, I'm not going to make the argument against Living Death, because he already had Bizarre Baghdad in yeah. his, and, and Mind Twist something. in his pool. Yeah. You know? And he, he, went, he went on to take Death Right Shaman and Scavenging Ooze. So, I mean, he had a theme. Yeah, he was trying to... Living Death, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. I talked to him afterwards, and he said that it was the best card in his deck. So, it definitely has an extraordinarily broken effect. That's yeah. super unique. Yeah, Living Death is fucking awesome. I love I love that card. The yeah. Death Rate and Scavenging News picks were not ones that I really liked at the time. It seemed like they were a little too oriented on metagaming, like playing against other decks, as sure. opposed to like making picks that were exceptionally good for Jason's deck itself. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think he was also thinking about living death when he took them. Right. Yeah. Like he wanted he wanted to clear his opponent's graveyard for a living death. Yeah. yeah and he knew I, that he knew that he was going to have a lot of removal in his deck, so I don't know. Kind of feels like I don't know, just a 
a misappropriation of resources at that point. Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, if you look at the card right after those two, Grave Titan, that card's absurd. And yeah, those two could have definitely gone later than a lot of the picks. I mean, his next uh, five picks, six picks, were all quite absurd that he probably could have taken up before Deathrite or Scavenging News. I mean, Bone Shredder, just cards that killed, like Bone Shredder and Necrotal are both insane. And I think Zakura Tribal are super underrated. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Survival of the Fittest plays extremely well, Living Death, so, I mean, he, he all made some really good picks right after he took those two cards. Yeah. I, I guess what it boils down to for me is that he went all-in on Living Death as opposed to just going all-in on Reanimator in general. Like, I, I yeah. think the Recurring Nightmare is the card that you take over either one of those cards. Because I don't think oh, yeah, Death Right. <laughs> I don't think the Death Right or Ooze are cards that you really have to fight with other people over. If you want those, you can get them in the middle rounds. Probably. Yeah. But uh, huh, let's get back to. I actually want to talk to you guys about a pick that I made, mostly because I'm not sure if it was correct, and that was my pick of upheaval in the 30th round. Which, when you think about upheaval, like that seems a little too late, and that was a lot of why I took it. Was like this card's too good. Why is it still here? I'm going to take it, you know? Kind of a hate draft that you might play. Right, and that was that was my thought was, can I play this? So, like, immediately after I took a Breeding Pool and a Gemstone Mine, and with that in mind, I'm like, oh, I guess I'll take Simic Sky Swallower if I'm going to think about playing Blue, and then Mystical Tutor, which somehow was still around in the 34th <laughs> round. But, like, what do you guys think about that first pick, the upheaval? Like, is that a, is that a pick that was worth it? Because in, in retrospect, I don't think it was. Um, I'd probably say you're right that it wasn't really quite worth it, but I mean, at that point in the draft, you're kind of just playing for, for value and potential. I mean, you kind of have your deck at this point and, you know, upheaval is something that you might be able to make work depending on how the cards fall, you know, or, or I guess the chips fall from, from that point on. Um, it is super broken and, you know, there's always a possibility that somebody else is waiting for it and was hoping it slips to them. So I don't think it's, it's a terrible pick. I don't think it was a mistake. I just think you, you might have been able to kind of stay on target of you know drafting green cards a little more and draft something else. Yeah, I'm not sure who else would have wanted it in this draft. I don't think anybody, right? Yeah, I uh, think Jordan yeah. probably had the best claim to it. Yeah, and I don't. Yeah, I don't think it was on his mind at all. Yeah, but but yeah. I mean, I'm not. That's just like my argument for like no need to hate draft. Uh, as for playing it i don't know like i probably wouldn't have gone that way did you end up playing it i did not i ended up playing the mystical tutor though <laughs> nice well and and, and at times the sky swallower um like off off of um natural order and a slight blue splash because i could make the mana work the mana wasn't a problem right right one of these cards that i didn't see before greg that you don't have highlight in here that i think you should is a few picks later you've got a pernicious deed Oh, yeah. That, that was a sweet one. Absurd. Those are one of your last picks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, J- Jason told me that he wanted that, and that's like, wow. What are you waiting for, dude? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what he was waiting for. But, uh, I mean, he got, like, he had other things on his mind, I guess. But uh, I-, I actually wanted to point out, two picks later, Regrowth, 38th pick. Oh, that card was so insane for me all day, too. Oh, ask Spencer card's... about how many times I regrew flower <laughs> against him. Don't ask Spencer about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, re- regrowth. It's like that's one of those cards that's you know considered you know one of the best cards back in the original original set, right? It's 
just pretty amazing that a, a card that powerful is like an afterthought in this draft. When Especially I took, go ahead. Every other spell is just such a backbreaker, and if you get to do it twice, it's like the ultimate fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> like you're not you're not gonna be regrowing some, you're not gonna be regrowing someone something mediocre. You're gonna be regrowing something awesome. Totally. Yeah, I regrew mostly plow under and natural order all day. The the, the crazy thing is is when <laughs> the I most took broken cards in your deck. I know when I took Eternal Witness in the seventeenth round, I almost took regrowth there, and I just kept waiting and waiting, and I'm like, ah, I don't need the regrowth. I already have Eternal Witness, and then it's like it, it gets to a point where like holy shit, this card's still here? Like, what am I doing? I just have to take this. Yeah, I mean, regrowth obviously should have been above upheaval. Right, there there you go. There's there's the pick I missed on. But, yeah. I don't know. And that's, that's kind of the crazy thing about this draft format in general is that there really are just a ton of cards that end up going way too late. I mean, all the other ones we have highlighted down here, like we talked about Tinker, Sword of War and Peace, Kokushu, when there are two people playing reanimator style oh, yeah. X and Kokushu goes in the 35th round, what? Like, that how does that happen? That was my mind how, that was, how he was still there. Yeah. Like, when you got a Johnny Goldmane in the 37th round, like, I understand a Johnny's not super powerful, but there's almost always a white deck that wants it. I guess yours was the only one that did, and that's just weird to me. Yeah, it was really good in my think, deck, too. I think uh, John's deck could have used it, but. There you go. Yeah. John was the only one I was fighting with the entire day. Yeah. And we were on drastically different plans, so it wasn't even that bad. Like, we were just fighting for, like, generic white and black cards. Right. The more specialized stuff, we had free reign to. Totally. I don't know. I mean, and then, of course, anytime you look at, like, the the single mono red drafter, if there's only one person playing red, it, it, like, every pick just seems stupid. You're like, oh, how'd you get this <laughs> that late? How'd you get this that late? I don't know. It's, it's funny. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It's yeah the the weirdest pick uh, that Bolin made was Sacred Mesa <laughs> in the nineteenth <laughs> round. Like what? That was so out of left field. Yeah, what? at some point he decided he wanted to get into red white, which, like you said, is typically a good idea if you're playing the red aggro deck. But Sacred Mesa, I don't think is the card you want there. <laughs> no, and then like no. two picks later, he takes Stomping Ground when he's like not thought about green at all and never took a green card i actually don't mind that pick because one you're taking a dual land from somebody else and two there weren't enough green drafters for that to be a bad pick like he could have got into green after that like look at how low i got regrowth that's know? true that's true so yeah. i yeah i think that's fine and nobody even took a lot of the good red green cards did anybody even take blood braid uh no. wow no one took blood braid nobody's red green uh Maybe jordan kind of was jordan took Huntmaster. Well, he didn't want blood braid. I don't know yeah. why he wouldn't want blood braid. Well, I mean, uh, it like could hit green sun zenith, I guess. I don't know. Green sun zenith is probably the worst thing it could hit, but it could also hit like channel or even <laughs> just like rampant growth. Like I don't know if you want to hit show and tell every time. <laughs> you don't have to cast the card. I don't know. Um, how about the? Uh, I'm. Did you guys do forty three picks? Is that what this is? Forty two. Uh, forty two. Or forty two. That's what I mean. After much debate. Yeah, we don't have all the picks in here, but I don't really care. But uh, the in the last round, there's a Planeswalker in there. Yeah, I highlighted this one for a reason. That that was another card I had been thinking about taking for a lot of it. It just didn't seem to fit with what I was doing, and that's Garrick Relentless. Mm-hmm. Like, that card's yeah, not, pretty good. <laughs> a, a good Planeswalker, yeah. It's not a bad one, and yeah, it's pretty surprising. Like, I, Does that 
does that mean that like we have too many planeswalkers in the cube or just that planeswalkers are are not focused enough and they're just like too like all around good cards that like people don't think about them when building decks like with a roto draft i think people like getting more bang for their buck whereas planeswalkers are definitely you know in it for the long haul but my personal opinion i think a lot of people would agree with me is that you, when you spend your mana on something you want to have as big of an effect as quick as possible and you don't want to spend six turns leveling your planeswalker up you just want to cast upheaval right away or you want to cast balance right away you know and there's so many cards that do something like that that you know living death or do something ridiculous that you know any run-of-the-mill planeswalker isn't isn't uh you know isn't as impactful as some of the other cards you potentially be playing yeah garrick relentless is one of those cards too that just what he does is so it's not bad it's just kind of underwhelming for most decks if you pair him with the right other cards like if you pair him with a smokestack or a braids or something like that where you're just making that token every turn and using using him as kind of an engine to feed the rest of your deck that while meanwhile also being like a removal spell against like aggro decks (laughs) I, i think he has value it's just he only has value to certain strategies and that's that kind of holds him back and makes him less less valuable overall in a format like this where every deck is so focused with like one goal in mind. True. Yeah, there's not there's not a lot of two twos or one ones, I mean relatively speaking, that of your opponents that he could eat right away. And, you know, I think if you want to flip him, you're kinda of eating your own guys. Yeah. So. I I do think he might be one of the worst planeswalkers we have in the cube. Meanwhile, Garrick Primal Hunter, that card was a revelation against me in this draft when I played against Jordan. The the thing I was underrating about it was just how backbreaking the draw cards ability yeah. on that can be. Like if you draw four cards and he and the Garrick still doesn't die, Jesus, that thing is unreal. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in green. Drawing cards in green is really, really good. Yeah. I should have drawing cards in any color is good, but green especially so. Yeah, I should have taken that card higher than Jordan took it. Um and I definitely think it would it was better in his deck than it would have been in mine, but just the card in general is so powerful that I yeah, I didn't really realize how good it was. Yeah, it's really good in your deck with Rofalos. With yeah, with forests too. <laughs> <laughs> pretty pretty good with forests in your That's deck. Another key to that that uh, equation there. Forests. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Alright, so Go ahead. I was going to say, like Jeff said, I think in general, Planeswalkers might not be as good in a powered cube environment as they would be in their relative sets. I mean, obviously in their relative sets, they're the best cards you can draft, but, you know, you know, where you, some decks are so focused and so many of the spells are just so much bang for your buck that, you know, you really kind of have to have, you know, the creme of the creme of Planeswalkers to make them really, really good. And then other other times than that, they're just like, slow win conditions that are hard to deal with that are slow. So what is what is that list of creme de la creme for you as far as the Planeswalkers go? I mean, we can talk about Mind Sculptor and like Elspeth. the original Elspeth. Yep. Uh, Tomio? You throw that on the list? Mm-hmm. I think I do. Really? Yeah. Gideon? I think I like Gideon more than Tomio. I don't like Gideon that much. I think I'm the only one in the world who doesn't, though. Probably. I think they're both very good. I think the original Garrick is also excellent. Oh, God. Yeah. He's my favorite Planeswalker. I mean, not... I don't think he's the best, but I've, there's nothing I want to do more than 
play him. He's he so was much fun. really good in my deck. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he's good because he fuels something else beyond just him himself, if that makes sense. Like, his untap some lands leads to more ridiculous things than just making tokens or dealing two damage or something, you know? Yeah, it's kind of like the Jace the Mind Sculpture thing. It's like, the, the card that's going to beat you isn't usually Jace. It's the cards that he gets what you to. gets you, exactly, yeah. Yeah, they, they both kind of fit into already established archetypes in the cube, like Green Ramp and Blue Control. They're such good cards in those two decks that, that yeah, they just have a, a lot of value. I think um, Johnny, Red White of Johnny is really good, too. Oh, yeah, that yeah. one's definitely on the list. That card is pretty absurd. That's a card that Ryan ends up with in almost every cube roto draft we do. <laughs> yep. I told him to call his deck the AV Club. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's too bad there's no like uh, deck list he had to turn in where you could write in a, a title. Yeah. All right. So I want to kind of wrap things up with a couple general questions here. Best pick of the draft. What was it in your guys' mind? Jeff, go first. I don't, I don't know. Uh, shoot. Um, best pick of the draft. I think I had an idea, and I can't remember what it was. Do, 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 do. Shoot. Uh, you know what? No, that's not the best pick of the draft. <laughs> shoot. Uh, probably Recurring Nightmare. It's, as in, like, the, for, for what it is and where it went, it's probably the most ridiculous. I think I like uh, Russell 22nd round bribery is maybe the best pick. Yeah, I like like, that pick. I I think in that same vein, though, I like treachery more. It's like the free bribery. Yeah, you have to to take it earlier, but I yeah. Yeah, I mean, do you like do you like the? I think treachery is better. I think bribery is extremely good. It's just whether you think is the value you get from treachery worth whatever this is 10 rounds because it went 10 rounds later one two three four five six seven eight nine ten yeah ten I, rounds. I, I do if only because the bribery if you are playing against the wrong deck like if you're playing against Bolin's deck where you're just getting like some random red derpy dude yeah, or, it's, yeah it's just not as good the Bolin's deck might have been the only deck that you just missed on with bribery uh, john's deck kind of has a lot of misses <laughs> Yeah, Ryan's deck. And Ryan's deck does. does too. I mean, John's deck has Sun Titan, and it has. That's okay. It's not. I mean, that's it's good for five mana for sure. But. And but Sun Ryan Titan only costs deck. six. Yeah. Has Garganon, and if you take Garganon, you kind of fuck Ryan over really bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not saying it's a bad pick. Like I think it's very good. I just the treachery because it ends up being free is I, that's more value than the the difference in rounds to me. Yeah. That could I, be. I think I, they're both very good picks, and if they're either one of those two, might be the best pick of the draft, in my opinion. Yeah, I I'd also do think that. The, I mean, there are a couple other arguments. You could make an argument for Sword of War and Peace in the twenty sixth. Yeah, um, for sure. Just that's absurd. Cons- like considering where the other swords and Loxon and Warhammer were taken, like. Come on. <laughs> what do you guys think? On a quick aside, what do you guys think the best top three equipments are in the cube? Bone Splitter, GTA, something else, and Bone Splitter didn't get oh. taken in this draft. Skull Clamp. Oh, yeah, uh, okay, that's fair. Skull Clamp, GTA, and maybe Batter Skull. But... I might rather have Bone Splitter than Batter Skull. Obviously, it completely depends on deck. But... Right, but that's just, I guess that's what I'm saying, is I'd rather draft the deck where Bone Splitter it's, is good. It's more important in the deck that it's in. Yeah. Yeah. 
the fact that Boland and his mono red deck did not take Bone Splitter was that kind of made me sad. He did take uh, a white enchantment that makes or some some Pegasi, right? Is that what he took? <laughs> yeah. He did take yeah. Sacred Mesa. And Jaya Ballard, Task Mage. I think that was just a, an anti-blue pick. And he it was the hottest, the hottest pick in Boland's deck. Jaya. Jaya. <laughs> <laughs> he ended up being on the same team with both the blue drafters. That was annoying. Nice, <laughs> nice right. Jaya. So, best, we talked about best picks. How about best draft, best deck? Um, your deck was pretty sweet, Greg. I lost to I... <laughs> I think it might have been his. deck was sweet, and Ryan's deck was sweet. I actually like Russell's deck the most. And Russell's deck was also very, very good. I think those I, were the four best, were Jordan, yeah. Ryan's, Russell's, and mine. Yeah, I agree. You and guys, a lot three of, that, of you were on the same team, right? Uh, Jordan no, was on my team. Russell and Greg were together, and Ryan and Jordan were together. Okay. I, two of them. Okay, never mind. But, um, yeah, I think the... the f- it just goes to show you that we were in the colors that weren't being fought over as much, or we were in decks that weren't as contested. You know, Jordan and I in kind of the, the green ramp shell, uh, yeah. Ryan doing something completely off the wall, and <laughs> Russell, Russell being the only person who really wanted to draft white control, you know, and along with only one of two blue drafters, and blue is the best color in Magic, so go figure that his deck was good, right? Yeah, and I, I mean, he's also the only one drafting blue creatures. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. What did you say, Spencer? I was going to say he, he played his deck really well, too, which is not really much to say for this draft, but, I mean, he knew exactly when to buy back for a bid and when not to when I played him, and he just he just was kind of on it all day. Mm-hmm. Made him pretty hard to beat. I thought this was the podcast where we trashed Russell. What happened? <laughs> He, dra- he drafted an awesome deck. Like, yeah. What just happened? I don't know. Uh, Did somebody flush the toilet? <laughs> Spencer just fell in the toilet? Yeah, I've been pooping this whole time. You are yeah. farther away from the microphone now, yeah, I can tell that. I'm exactly the same distance as I've always been. That's weird. Uh, weird. Anyway, I can get right uh, into it. The the one thing I'll say about Russell's draft too is that I as I look down the list I don't see one pick that I don't like or, or that I thought was too early or just out of place yeah. in his deck. Totally. As opposed you're a to a great glass spinner a little bit maybe. I don't know. That's pretty good in his deck though. Yeah. yeah. I my actually my favorite deck it's not highlighted here or favorite deck favorite pick of Russell's is Gilded Drake. Yeah, that was insane. Oh, that Spencer was, was upset so about broken that in pick. His deck, yeah. <laughs> I was upset about that one, yeah. Yeah, that's a card where you want Parallax Wave or uh, oh yeah, what's it called? Um, Crystal Shard to go along with it. Yeah, he has Venser, which is the best thing to have with it. Yeah. He also has Dude. Flicker Wisp. Yep. Yup. And yep. Resto Angel, although that doesn't work, does it? <laughs> um, no, you have to control it. Yeah. But still, yeah. He again, like the the Blink deck, the blue white control deck. If you're the only person playing that in this cube, your deck's going to be good. Usually Jason's in that archetype as well. Yeah. That's he kind of did something like it. He has a lot of Enter the Battlefield effects. Yeah. But... It's not, not a bad strategy in general, but it just there are more ways to abuse it in blue-white. Right. I mean, I mean, his deck really just wants Recurring Nightmare so bad. I know. He, had, yeah, he had the... He, he had, had the ability. The, the green um, survival effects too, didn't he? Yeah. He had both of them. Yeah. That, I, I also helped Jason... During the draft, after 
right around about around after his grave titan pick is when i started talking to him and helping him prioritize things and that was didn't you help so i i brought up survival to him and he was like oh fuck i forgot about survival (laughs) (laughs) and so yeah he he jumped on that like a smart person he's smart guy so basically, Jeff, you just helped everybody in some way, or you helped the majority of the players in this draft. I need to be part of this. I, I seriously, I, this might blow you guys' mind, or you already know, I've never done a rotisserie cube draft. That does blow my mind. Never. Yeah. Never done it. I'm, I've lived in Florida for way too fucking long. Yeah, it's time to stop living in Florida. I agree. It might not happen for another six months. Or it's the time. fun stuff is happening on the West Coast true all right anyway i think we've talked about this long enough yeah we should uh we'll definitely post a link to the draft uh spreadsheet itself in the uh show notes and we should also post a link to um the list of what's in the cube as well that's updated correct uh yeah it is i can triple check that though for sure and actually make some Probably some spelling changes because it's not spelled right. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that going on here. I'll, I'll probably go through and make a couple edits. There were a couple cards on here that I just, I was like, what is that card? What is GSC? What is Motherfucker of Runes? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of cursing in proper <laughs> East West <laughs> on how many of the titans have titan replaced with titties <laughs> it's gotta be there's gotta be at least three of them uh, yeah. that's a sad state of affairs that's what happens when you don't draft with enough females yeah it's kind of... sorry ladies our draft. I think the worst one is n-words disc yeah I'm gonna change that right now <laughs> that's really bad that is yeah. cartmill I'm a monster uh anyway thank you guys for listening this has been east west draftcast you can reach us eastwestdraftcast at gmail.com send us an email uh we are on twitter i am at jeff ewdc greg is at ew draftcast spencer is i don't even check my twitter so i don't even fucking bother it's no. at it's at spencerus yeah do it <laughs> tweet me uh, up. Yeah, and we have our Facebook. Search us up, East West Draftcast on Facebook, or do Facebook slash EW Draftcast. And our website, eastwestdraftcast.com. Best website on the internet. We post our podcast there. Pretty much that's it. That is it. Uh, thanks, Spencer, for joining us. This was fun, dude. My pleasure. Yeah, thank you. And until next time, when we will probably be back to talking about Theros or something else uh, not as exciting as a rotisserie cube draft. Or all the Innistrad drafts I did this week online. Oh, how was that? So fun. <laughs> anyway, draft cast out. Meow. Fuck the bar, pretty lines.